0: Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit HelpMeBeMe.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi friends, it's Sarah May and this is an episode um, I've been working on for a while. And it's called, um, I it doesn't really have a good name, so in, in clunky form, it's about relationship fighting that is now distance and hypervigilance, like how you can find your way out of that state. If you're kind of in that state of like, we've had the same fight a thousand times, and now we're just like awkward around each other, and we don't feel close, and how to start thinking about rebuilding and understand why it's happening and what you can do about it so this is basically all from a couple different people but the majority of what I'm going to talk about is from a guy named Gottman so if you've heard of John Gottman or you um you want more info I would just google him or the Gottman Institute and you'll find a lot of this information I also have a couple other people that I'm referencing. So I'm going to put book links in the, try and put it in the show notes. And then also I'll do a blog version on yaywithme.com. So what I mean by this is that you used to, or you're still maybe arguing, but now you're also both withdrawing because you are feeling like stuck And this is actually when you get into real trouble, because this is when you start isolating and becoming more focused on yourselves individually. And and like over time, you stop investing as much in the relationship and in trying to find solutions. And you both might think that the other person is in the wrong, or they're not trying as hard as they should, and that the solution is them changing and starting to care or try harder. Um, or you might just be in a state of like both, both in a state of utter hopelessme- hopelessness because you've tried to figure your way out of these things and they just don't seem to ever go differently. So know that both people have an active role in this, and the reality is you're both experiencing this as something personal, like even in the moment, but there are invisible patterns that are playing out, So it feels like you're both kind of getting not the love you deserve. But it's really that you just, it's almost like you can't hear the the tones in their dialect. Like the truth isn't landing. Because think about it. You think a person who loves you and cares about you wants you to feel shitty and unloved or doesn't care if they hurt you? Because that would be a sociopath. And if you are not with a sociopath, hopefully you're not then this person is trying just as hard as you and their efforts are just being missed and there are miscommunications that are happening. So when we start to get distant, it's because we don't want to fight and we've gotten grown that sense of dread because of the repeated loop. So this distance is almost like a peaceful retreat. It's like we create this no-war zone between two different cultures. And actually that is when your relationship is ironically in the most trouble because that's when you stop demonstrating you have uh, an investment in the bond. That's also when you stop identifying as much as a couple and you start thinking in terms of yourself as an individual. And with that kind of more solo identity you start to focus on your goals as an individual and you kind of re- refocus um, on yourself and how your life separately should be defined. And like you also start to redefine your, your relationship based on the negative experiences. So you think when you recall your relationship, you'll see it as crappy. You see it as like a, your own personal self-protection standpoint versus an us protection standpoint. So I wanted to give you some of the main reasons that people end up breaking up and divorcing from fighting and from relationship issues. And if they don't, they end up miserable and hating each other. Um, and that's, that is based on like a couple different disciplines of research. And I also want to um, let you know that this is not for people who have abusive partners. So if you are in a A violent relationship like you're a victim of domestic violence this is not for you and if that is you my heart goes out to you but it's definitely not for those types of relationships so here we go as usual there are three parts the what the why and the how the tools So here's part one the what fighting loops that you seem to have forever and they are always the same kind of dynamic and they don't really seem to get solved. They call these perpetual fights because they happen perpetually, and they are the areas you constantly get stuck. And eventually you get to a place where you're distant and you're afraid to say anything at all. And then you might feel awkward and anxious analyzing everything that crosses your mind, like unable to be natural with the other person or maybe you just feel resentful and angry and you long for intimacy and you don't know how to get to that point at all like you both might not know how to do that or maybe you're just frustrated because of how short end of the stick you have been and you are at that place where you're like I don't even know if it's worth it anymore or maybe your partner's the one that gets upset and frustrated at you when you're trying your best. And in fights like that, it's really hard to, to know whether or not you should honor them. You know, you might feel like I should state my case because I'm in the right. And you might be confused, like, should I let this go? Isn't that betraying myself if I don't voice my wants and my truth? And they should be the one that apologizes because I'm trying my best. And I know myself and I, I mean well. They are being impossibly petty and small. Well, I think a lot of us get used to standing up for ourselves and trying our best. And when we're in a relationship, we still experience others as like a danger to us, even though those people we've chosen are good and trustworthy. And what we can't see is... We don't have to defend ourselves in that way anymore. And most fights are really like language misalignments. And they can happen forever. So it's really not about fixing that. It's it's just about how you deal with that fact. And if you don't deal with it in the right way, it can have really corrosive effects. And these kinds of loops happen to everybody. They happen to really kind, loving, smart people, and they happen even when you love each other and you both have the best of intentions. So when you end up feeling like you're misunderstood, it's in your mind like just something that requires more explanation. So it might look something like, you know, a seemingly small, trivial thing, maybe you say something nice, and then your partner rolls their eyes, which makes you feel hurt, and then you feel the need to clarify. Like that's a loop. It went back and forth and back and forth. Or let's say your spouse said something like, "Oh, you never do the dishes," but you know you do do the dishes. So that's like you feel invisible. Like you are not seen and you're unappreciated. That makes you in a state of defensiveness. Like that's another. little rally or maybe you're in a bad mood or you're kind of over it because you're annoyed at your partner and so they say something to you and then you ignore what they say and you pretend like you didn't hear them and that is received as just cold like if a coworker did that to you it would be like ouch but in the moment that feels like kind of justified or kind of just casual and normal or let's say you are just kind of annoyed and frustrated at your partner, so you stay at work really late and then you go out with friends and that's just your way of just not dealing and like cutting off from them and avoiding the situation. So all of these things are so small in the moment, but each of them is like inviting rust, little spots of rust into your relationship. It's, they're also toxic as actions. It says to your partner, "You are not safe with me," and things like this, and mass, create a climate of just insecurity and negativity and defensiveness in partnerships. And it, I didn't realize how important those things were. All of those things mean a lot. Those subtle little things that we do because we don't think it matters; those add up to equal. How someone feels and how close they feel to you, and when people don't feel safe and intimate, they create more of these bad loops because that's when you start your like your um, self protective habits come out. So things like some people get angry and push, and some people get defensive and like beg for love, and these types of things make like they'll feel like valid requests but those don't land so when they don't land you feel shittier and more distant because you haven't gotten the thing you were you were trying to get like it's a desperate attempt to get love and intimacy but it's doing the opposite so when we get to that feeling shittier distant result in our minds we say this is not on me it's on them I was trying, and I'm asking for something that I need, and it's valid. It's their fault. So all of these realities are visceral, and they're painful, and they're real, and they're valid. But in reality, this is all just about that loop. The loop has to be handled in a way that avoids the negative outcome and supports both partners' style. It's like these little mini hurtful moves are slowly poisoning the relationship and, like, making it into kind of a dangerous climate. And so the thing that needs to change is, is a very practical thing. It's not about one person being a dick or one person being um, asking too much. It's, in my opinion, it's this thing most people don't even know about what is really fucking up their intimacy. It's like this invisible cumulative effect. Almost like before people knew smoking was bad for you, I feel like that's what happens to a lot of people in relationships. Because contrary to what most think, the success of your relationship doesn't rely on fixing your fights or resolving them or talking them out to the end. It's all about how you manage those repeated fights, like the conduct around them or the etiquette in the face of the things that happen in your fights. So think of this as like the overall um, pervasive relationship happiness ratio that, that can be altered to read more positive when you deliberately alter your behavior just around conflict. It's kind of like my episode called teaspoon of happy. I'm not sure if you've heard that one, but it's it's really about that ratio. What matters in your relationship is that you experience a majority of positive happy experiences. And when you have little fights that repeat, your experience becomes predominantly negative. It's really that basic. The majority of our fights are perpetual. Like 70% of them are f- perpetual on average. In all relationships. And that's because we all have... We all come with baggage. We all come with shit. And when we meet a stranger, that person has their own set of baggage. So we will all have fights. We'll all experience misalignments. Just default. Two different humans. That's how it is. Unless you marry your twin, I don't think there's any situation where you would not have your own sets of baggage. And we actually... Choose our partners based on our baggage complementing one another. Like we give what we need to one another in like slightly different styles. And so when you meet your your match, you, it's because you're familiar to one another. And you resemble, you know, a caregiver from childhood in different, you know, pieces of caregivers and we we kind of choose this person because we want to ask for the things we never got and that person can actually give them to us however they are not our caregiver and we can't ever heal what we didn't get from childhood i mean quite literally we can't go back in time so we will be stuck in this like perpetual loop because we speak different languages than our partners do and we have different reactions to to pain so a lot of those different reactions will kind of set up these negative loops and the distance happens when they those negative loops kind of get repeated too many times which brings me to part two the why well it's really common for all of these things to happen to partners because it's uh it's common for people to feel like they haven't been heard and because they're not getting the response they expect and thus repeat the statements again and again. Keep asking for the thing again and again. And because with fights like this, you never really gain that sense of completion or satisfaction, you'll end up not feeling satiated. Like you might end the fight loop feeling just misunderstood even if it ends in a kind of less you know okay way you might end up feeling just still distant and like like they didn't really get it and when you repeat the fight again and again you end up feeling alienated and um, as a coping mechanism retreat to a safer distance so if this is happening to you you are one among many, 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 many. And it has to do with really small specific habits and dynamics in how we react to pain. And, and all of those reactions are very much set up by caregivers. So in general, in every relationship, one partner has a fear of being unseen or abandoned or not loved. In hetero relationships, that's usually the female And one partner will have a fear of or an intense visceral reaction to feeling ashamed and not worthy. And they're basically fighting off and protecting themselves from feeling shame or less than. Or they're in the denial of feeling it. And in hetero relationships, that's usually the male. So those are the two of being abandoned, not loved, unseen, or shame less than. So those are the two emotions underlying most every interaction that is conflict-based. It's kind of the thing that's causing people to be reactive. So if the wanting-to-feel-secure-and-loved partner is complaining, that's what their motive is, to make me know I am loved. And the other shame-sensitive partner immediately hears, you did something wrong. I'm not, and they hear, I'm not worthy as soon as they receive a complaint. So that person will remain in the like offensive, fending off harm state literally as soon as any kind of complaint is heard. And that's why they might build a wall. They hear, you failed me. So they also get really defensive and I guess offensive, when they are not witnessed in their attempts to be loving or to demonstrate love. So one partner would be concerned with lessening the conflict in the face of helplessness, while the other would be kind of desperately pursuing connection. So one person is like, it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal. And the other person is like, love me, please, don't abandon me. So they're c- kind of coming from opposite Positions. The distancer is the one that usually um, goes into things immediately as like a, a way to help themselves that make them feel confident. So let's say you're the shame person. In the face of feeling this way, usually you'll just dive into something you know how to do well. I don't know, like your work, working out, something that makes you feel less or, or uh, more. Worthy and solid. So those are the first two dynamics, I would say, that are common. Second to that, in relationships, one person is usually, this is another way to think about it or frame it, one person is usually the minimizer or a maximizer. And we kind of trade off in playing those roles. It's always like a dance. It's like a push-pull. And the goal of that push-pull is retaining connection. So the minimizer might be the person that's the avoider or the controller. And the maximizer is the one that puts energy outwards. So they would be the person that's more like the pursuer, the clinger, the compromiser. And when we choose people, unconsciously we're choosing people that kind of complement us in this way. And it's because we're choosing based on what we need to learn. Like the, our partners are, are an example of a way to be for us. So when we um, have this dance that goes back and forth, it's almost like the balance needs to be kept for um, there to feel like a sense of security and connection. And when you get distant... You no longer feel that because you are embodying your side, not your goals as a couple. So that's why most people who end up in this state of distance have been in a state of private distress for a while. And because, like most people, they think I'm smart and I've applied all my logic and this doesn't make sense, so they feel hopeless. And usually, people are in a state of protest, or clinging, or fear, or helplessness. And by helplessness, I mean, that's usually expressed in the form of anger and rage. But this is all in the struggle to get security and love. That's what is causing it. So even though it's coming out as like, God, you're such a fucking pain in the ass, like, that's... Ironically, a struggle for security and attachment. So all of these are very much unconscious, and most people just don't really know why these things are happening, or why they're not getting love when that's the goal, when that's really what they want. So a lot of people try and just avoid the fights, or they'll try and solve the fights. And a lot of the problem is that's what people think they're supposed to do. But the majority of what will improve the relationship comes down to two things. Your ability to just pay attention to yourself and your part in the conversation and how you can better your end of it. Not not your partner, not how they should change. And second, how you manage the conduct around fights. Just basically like practicing some very specific things that create um, a pervasively positive outcome like uh, or feeling in your relationship. That is what predicts divorce, is just your success in these two things. This is just according to research. Um, And it turns out, you know, as we build habit loops, it's really hard for a couple to break out of them. And that's just because we kind of get in a rhythm. We, We stop being able to think our way out of it while it's happening. So when we choose relationships, we're choosing because they're actually going to help us grow. Like, we're choosing people because we're trying to grow up with their help. So you can think about your partner right now. What have, what do they have? Or what was the kind of the main thing that first attracted you to them? That is likely something you lack. But it's actually the thing that you most need to learn to grow. So you can look at the cycle of, that you're experiencing is like a very predictable um, outcome based on your emotional responses and kind of what your, um, your, their response is is kind of what you need to lean into and learn. If you're like a shutdowner type of person and you feel criticism super intensely, maybe you close off and ice, you know, ice out your partner, that is a defense mechanism to the reaction of their aggression. So what, you're do, what you do, in turn, makes your partner angry and confront you aggressively. So that's like an entire loop. But maybe what you need to try and do is confront and voice your, your anger more intensely. Become more self-protective. So with all of this information, what I want you to take away from it is what, what's important is getting super conscious of your patterns together and how they create the distance. And eventually, once you can kind of become objective about it, you can get to a, a place of feeling compassion for your partner. And then, this is in the, in the future, you can deliberately meet the other's unconscious needs. And when you can do that, that is like how you actually do heal the inner child of your partner. And they can do it for you. That's like the profound ability of romantic love. Is you can literally help your partner grow up and, and heal what they didn't get. So we can advance past the stages of development where we got stunted because of our parents. And by the way, all parents are flawed. There's no such thing as perfect parents. This is just part of, you know, healing through love and being a grown-up. So your partner has inside them what you need to heal from your childhood wounds and vice versa. And your partner was appealing to you because of what they have that your caregivers had. So in order to get out of the state of distance and unmet needs, it just takes being conscious of some of the things you can't see that are creating the issue for both of you. And know that this is not about effort or love. It's, it's about the patterns that escalate the negative. And this is how it kind of creates a system that doesn't allow you to come back to closeness. So think of this like you are an athlete who can't land your long jump. It doesn't mean you can't jump far. It just means you've got to learn how to land by kind of learning to slow down the process and seeing where you're placing your foot wrong that hurts. I apologize if you are a long jumper and that <laughs> means nothing. <laughs> with that, here's part three: the tools. So as I said, it's really, it really has everything to do with how you handle fights. It's not that you shouldn't fight. That most fights people have are unresolvable and they're perpetual. They by default will happen on a loop, and the best solution usually isn't talking them out to death. It's recognizing when you're having the perpetual sort of fight and then figuring out the best path out of them. So if you are having the same fight again and again, here are some tools. The first one is called earthquake weather check out the conditions. So in your fights, I want you to just start to take like notes around them. Notice what are you usually doing that brings it up? What are you doing that escalates it? What are the topics that, um, or the kind of inner meanings of the fights? And are you the the uh, shame person or are you the I need love and security person. Just start to, like, note, jot down the patterns. And once you have a little bit of information down, ask yourself, what can I do that would de-escalate it? Like, knowing that they're, let's say they're the shame person. What could I do to prepare or to de-escalate when their shame is triggered? Because once you can see where they're suffering and where they're, like, hurting, it feels a lot different. Like, you're not coming from an offensive place anymore. It feels more like, ah, that, that sucks. I want to make them feel better. So when you start to brainstorm this, start to experiment with different ways to de-escalate and just see what works. And a lot of them won't work, but this is just about forcing yourself to try things that are not natural to you and not in your comfort zone. That's the first one. second one, map your danger zones. So we experience certain emotional reactions as dangerous and intolerable depending on our upbringing. You might have some formative experiences that have stuck you with that really intensely dangerous feeling around criticism. Like, no, you can't, I, but you can't be you can't be mad at me. Like that feels like very dangerous, and that could be if your caregiver um, withheld love from you or was very cold to you. So as a starting point, I just want you to look at your most painful um, things from your partner and your most painful caregiver habits and anything that sticks out to you as in common. Like one of mine, for example, is depression. It signals danger to me when it's coming from my partner. I know that seems crazy, but it could be anything. So, what triggers you? Is it something someone? uh, Is it when someone's mad at you, or they're not attracted to you? Like you feel like you're not desired sexually? Because these types of things come from all over the place in our past. So, this is just about knowing what your when you can expect to be overreacting and needing security, just for your own awareness. That's the second one. Third one, pillow fight. So the single most important thing you can do in a relationship is have generally a positive spin and a positive tone with your partner. So that's the first part of this tool is just be as predominantly kind and loving as you possibly can. You could still s- voice things that make you upset, but in a way that's soft as a pillow. For example, hey, babe, would you mind driving slower? As you know, I am a nervous person, and it would help me immensely. So that sounds kind of like a no-duh, but it's a huge factor in the overall success of couples. And the majority of couples who just, it's like about the ratio of like, I think it's like a five to one. If you have five positive to one negative, you're in the you're in the golden zone of relationships. And additionally, the majority of couples who practice what they call soft startup or like gentle beginnings to complaints have the large majority of positive outcomes in conversations. It seems like logical, but it's one of the things you might not have, that might not have occurred to you. So for example, if you have say, something you need to say to your partner and it's not a good thing, use the sweetest, kindest, non-blaming language with your lead-in. And while you are in a discussion, it's about suspending your judgment and defensiveness long enough that you can become vulnerable. Because vulnerability allows for space to open up. Number four, keep a glue stick in your pocket. So this is a huge factor in just how well couples fare in the fight zone. And that's literally how well, they fix it, all the little tiny breaks. So constantly, any angle you can get on repairing is well worth it. So that means just little tiny moves to make peace. And we often have a million opportunities to do that, but we don't really use them because we're right and we want the other person to know it. So just think about, be conscious of, all the moments you are able to say things like, I can see why that would be upsetting. One of the best repair attempts there is, is humor. It just makes it clear you are attempting love and peace. My husband uses it all the time and it's majorly powerful. That's number four. Number five, avoid the four horsemen. So this is the death to intimacy list, according to Gottman. This is like basically the ingredients to poison for relationships. Includes contempt. So things like rolling your eyes or expressing disdain. Criticism. It's kind of a nota defensiveness. I was surprised by this one. And stonewalling. And stonewalling is basically like icing out, shutting down. And a lot of people, like, this is something that happens to them by default. It's like a defense mechanism. So if this happens to you, it's really just about informing your partner what's happening to you. Like, I'm having a hard time. I just need a little bit of space. So this next one is kind of tied to that. I'm calling it oxygen mask. And this is really just de-escalation lingo, a cheat sheet. Um. And it doesn't always work, but it doesn't hurt. And that's why it's important to at least try. Just know in all cases in your fights, you have to be the grown-up. You've got to let go of what they do and focus on what's in your control and what you do. So if they are in their shame state, think of ways you can um, get around that. So by de-escalation lingo, I mean literally things that de-escalate the fight. So, for example, things like, I'm having a hard time and I need to take a break from the conversation. Um, there are, some of them seem like they won't work at the time. Like, it depends on your relationship. So, for example, saying, I feel blank is always better, always preferred. Um, saying, sorry, any opportunity you possibly can. Is always really helpful. So, sorry. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I didn't say that in the right way. Let me, let me try again. Or telling someone, how, like, I need to take a break. I need to calm down. Um, anything you can say to acknowledge. So, I appreciate. I see your point. I understand. I love you. I see what you're talking about and anything if you need it if you can tell that it's not going in a good direction anything you can do to put this on hold for now uh let's take a break i'm feeling a little overwhelmed we're getting off track let's start again another time and when you do say i feel things." If you can say it in a way that um, calls out kind of your weakness, it's helpful. So, things like, I feel uh, defensive, or I'm feeling uh, worried and afraid because it sounds like you don't love me, or I feel like you don't understand what I'm saying and that. I need to say it again, and that's why I keep saying it again. Stuff that just disclaims what you're kind of experiencing. So those are all non-offensive things that, like, don't make it exacerbated. So the next tool I have is <laughs> compressing, like, a school like a philosophy of couples counseling into a single tool. I think this might work. But yeah, I know it's kind of a a lot, but okay, I'm going to give you the shorthand version of a MAGO dialogue. So basically this is a theory that's used in couples counseling. And I say, if you want to try it with your spouse, it's not, it's, it's not hard to apply the basic thinking behind it. So if your spouse is upset about something and you are discussing issues together, like you've decided to talk things out, things you can do. To make sure the other person is heard and that you're communicating is this thing called imago. And the very, very dumbed-down version of it is, is basically mirroring, validating, and empathizing. So basically, you would say, you talk one at a time. Mirroring means you repeat back to them exactly what they, they said until they say, yes, that's exactly right. So they might say, like, you did this and then you're upset because I did this. And then they say, yeah. Next step, validating. This is when you feel the uh, feelings they had and make sense of them in your own words. So you understand, like, oh, I understand why you would feel that way. And um, I would feel the same way, too. And then the last stage is empathizing, basically saying, I like I I know that would hurt a lot, like experiencing the thing from their perspective. Like if I went through that, I would feel sad as well. And that allows them to get quenched in their position and then you switch and then the other person does it. And yeah, it takes forever. <laughs> it's sort of annoying and tedious. But if you're in a desperate place and you can't communicate and you're both getting really angry, it's like it can be almost like a translator. You know, there's the one translator in this town and you like can finally communicate. Um, I say maybe try it, try giving it a shot or at least try it on your partner if, if just you are aware of it. So the next tool I have, love that baby when we come from resent we lose we both lose and a lot a lot of just relationships and love is being the bigger person and choosing to give over receive and if you've chosen right and you started from love with your partner then all you have to think about now is how you can get back to that state not live in the need or pull state but just get back to the how can i give to this person state and we all have our wounds and if you can gift this person what they crave in the language they're asking for it it can change things so dramatically just it can be powerfully healing and and light up fill their cup in a way that you don't expect will, I don't know, inspire them to start giving back to you. It's like it'll inspire them to give back even when you're not. You're thinking that there's no way they will. And that's because we all need to have a sense of worthiness and, and a sense of safety and reciprocation in our partners. And when we receive it, it's like then we can give it. It can be shown to us by the way others treat us, even if we don't naturally have it in ourselves. So when you give somebody unconditional care and love, they believe themselves to be more worthy. And when they feel worthy, they, they feel like they can give. So I would say when you're having a hard time with your partner, think about them, try and just kind of, thought, you know, blur your eyes and picture them as their kind of hurt, broken, longing, little baby self. And the self, you know, if they're the shame person, shame state person, imagine them in that state as a child and feel compassion for them and and try and give to them from that perspective of like, oh, you're in that fearful state you you grew up in. How can, I, how can I give you love and care for you in this way? That is what, like, honestly, how we heal our, like, partners' inner children. So, in closing, well, before I close, I want to thank my latest sponsors. I have a huge list. I want to thank Laurel and Caitlin and Natalia and Shauna and Uni and Justin. And Katie and Kristen, thank you so, 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 so much. I'm so fucking thrilled. And Margaret, you've been a sponsor for quite a while, but I'm always just like, oh, I'm bowled over by your donation, a monthly donation. Thank you. Thank you all for your amazing letters and your comments. Your words thrill me to no end. Um, And I am so grateful for all of you. So in closing, your relationship, if you chose right, and that person was at one time your champion and your protector, your relationship is likely on life support because of the isolation that results from miscommunication. And that's common. If you're both feeling unseen and unheard, you're likely hurting because you feel alone and unsatisfied by your discussions, because they never really get fixed. But that has nothing to do with your love for one another or the quality of your relationship. It's really about the kind of bookkeeping or the managing of the filing, like, but your communication skills. So I would say look into a couples counselor and interview, interview the fuck out of them, or at the very least buy a book. And I will say If you are listening to this and you're just one half of the partnership, you can do a ton of work solo. Like you can do a lot to improve your relationship on your own, but it really helps to have your partner in on it too. So I recommend sharing your learning in a non-blamey way, and even better, share the mission toward love with an objective party who can actually clarify for you both the invisible processes that are occurring between you, like a couples counselor. And that can be hugely beneficial because it just takes the fault off of both of your shoulders. It becomes these things that happen to you. It's not you as individuals. So for couples counselor questions, I'm going to put a link to a good list um, of actual interview questions for the couples counselor before you pick one um, on yaywithme.com whenever I put the blog version up. But Know that there are very few good couples counselors, <laughs> and I would say even fewer than good, good therapists. And the most important questions you have to ask them are basically the breadth and the length of their experience working with couples, their ratio of couples to individuals, like the, who they treat, and their, their batting average, like their ratio of successful couples, couples versus not in who they've treated. And ideally, you want somebody that has at least a 75% success success rate or around there who has trained in um, some form of couples counseling because couples counseling is the hardest form of therapy. And it usually, if you have a bad one, it does, it can destroy a marriage. It can destroy a good marriage. So I would say on average, they do more harm than good because of just how hard it is. And um, so it's really important that you do your homework up front. I recommend interviewing at the minimum three or four. And I mean in-person interviews with them. And ideally eight, at least eight over the phone. So if you find that you are not um, meshing with them, like if your partner doesn't like them or you don't like them, move on. This should be somebody – it has to be somebody who attends to both of you equally and makes you both feel equally seen and understood. So they should be the one that – they should be on both of your sides. The relationship is the client, and they should be also the last one to give up on your relationship, in my opinion. So if they end up saying stuff like, well, this – you guys, you should walk away. That's actually against the rules of couples counseling, like, at least in California. So I would walk away and get a new one. And if you're in a bad state in your relationship and you're on the fence, I would say the only question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it to do the work? Do you love this person enough to do the work? And if the answer is yes, then I believe you can heal and come back to love. It just starts with an awareness of what is causing the distance and then just very specific steps that will start to rebuild the intimacy. And this includes if you've been together a bajillion years. Um, People that have been together a bajillion years, they form really, really solid habits. So it's like you have to just have awareness of what they are, the ones that are causing the discontent. And like all things you do unselfishly from love, I believe the work will be well worth it. So I know this is a lot of information to take in, but I hope it's helpful. And um, if you want to learn more, I'm going to put some links in the show notes. And uh, don't forget to smile.